Thank you for tuning in to the First Gen Hunter Podcast, the go-to resource for those seeking to establish a foundation in hunting knowledge, skills, and tactics. Happy Friday, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the First Gen Hunter Podcast. Um, today we're going back to kind of our roots on this show because, uh, the guests were some of the earliest guests. I can't believe you guys haven't been on since then. I wear your shirt all the time. I have, uh, I have, uh, your decals, one of my favorite decals on my cooler. Um, I try to, I try to like really slather that thing in different, uh, hunting related decals. And, uh, you, you guys have one of the coolest ones. I just think it's the combination of the, the color, like it's just the right amount of of color on there and then the uh outline of the state is just cool but uh we got the rhode island whitetails guy guys back that's hard to say whitetails guys uh <laughs> the rhode island whitetails team back dan and ryan how are you guys good ken thanks for having us on yeah thanks good to see you again it, it seems like yesterday when we were on i know um, it man a lot of water into the bridge since then yeah time flies it's crazy. Wish it would slow down, especially now with the daughter. It's like she's almost a year old now, and it's like, where that? How did that happen? Right. Yeah. Yep. Yep. That's right. And uh, yeah, I was gonna say uh, a, a new house for me since then, a, a new kid for me since then, a new kid for you. I don't know if you guys have moved uh, houses or anything since then, but uh, you know, a lot of a lot of change coming fast, but also thankfully some really nice deer killed uh between everyone since then and some some uh i bet if we put all of our sheds together over the since the last time we talked that'd be a pretty impressive pile i think it'd be i think it'd be enviable by some some people what do you guys think definitely i mean we can all share that one thing in common is that we just love shed hunting i know it equal picture yeah, well, let's hit it right there, right away. I'm getting so anxious. You're, you know, just starting to see a few sheds show up on, on social media here and there. Um, mostly deadheads at this point because not many sheds mm-hmm. have hit the ground yet. But um, a, a guy who's on the show often with me, <clears throat> a good friend of mine, Caleb, uh, he found his first shed of 2024 20, already. Um, he was hunting the late muzzleloader season, uh, just the last few days of the season. And, uh, he went to cross this, uh, river and it was a real shallow river and boom, right there in the middle is a possibly, it, it might qualify for North American Shedders Club and it's just really unique, uh, uh, in the water, in the water, brown wow. antler. And at first, you know, because I don't know if you guys have ever found sheds in the water before. Um, yes. Yeah, they they have like unique color, you know, like they they, they get more brown and greens. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. And so it was kind of hard. It was already kind of starting to get a little stain to it, especially on the part where it's like resting on the bottom. So at first we thought it was an old one, and you know, like from the year before. But he cleaned it up. And it's like, man, that really looks like a fresh antler. So I think it, you know, as best as we can tell, it's a fresh shed from from uh, probably dropped in December. It looked like it'd been sitting in the water for at least a couple of weeks already. So maybe an injured buck or something. Uh, but there are some antlers dropping. And uh, Dan, you've already been out a little bit, right? 
Yeah, I've been, uh, we'll, we'll call it uh, tentatively scouting. <laughs> <laughs> been out postseason a little bit. Um, the deer I've been after him for most of the season dropped his antlers the last few days of December. Oh, so really? It, yeah, so I kind of put a damper on the end of the season there for me. Yeah, okay, yep, yep. He's still open in Rhode Island, so still, if you want to hunt, you still can. It goes all the way to the end of January. Okay, yeah. I didn't know that. That's interesting. And and that's kind of unique for New England, right? Because New Hampshire, their deer season ends in like at Thanksgiving or something like that, isn't it? I don't even think it stretches into I don't even think it stretches into December, if yeah. I remember correctly. Yeah, I think they just have a couple weeks of, you know, gun season left around that time and that's it. So mm-hmm. same with juice as they end pretty early. Okay. And then what about uh um connecticut are they are they early enders too or do they go like you guys they i think they're done um they they probably end a couple weeks before us uh, if not half a month something around that but okay yeah don't quote me but rhode island's definitely the longest out of the new england states so yeah that's that's an interesting little fact there uh well you know if, if you guys can get out still and maybe uh whack whack a, a last minute buck or get another doe down I, you know, that's another good question there. Is doe harvest emphasized as much in Rhode Island? Um, do you guys have, like, the herd numbers there to where, oh, man, yeah, we got does eating us out of house and home? Or d- is there a pretty good balance between bucks to does and just an overall? I think, I think there's a pretty good balance. Um, something that I wish Rhode Island would implement is, like other states do, is a, you got to earn a buck tag. Mm. So, doe to, to get your buck tag i mean mm. I'm, I'm saying now with a grain of salt because if that ever happened like, darn it i need to shoot a doe first yeah you know i think a good balance for the earn a buck i've thought about this quite a bit um because i do think that in some states it, it is a good thing like wisconsin who has massive cwd um concerns uh, back when they, I don't think they do it anymore, but back when they did do their earn a buck program, um, I think it was, uh, and I might be wrong on this and I, I got plenty of, I got plenty of friends and, and, uh, uh, guests that have even been on this podcast before that would be able to set me straight on this. So reach out guys if I'm wrong, but I think the way it worked was <clears throat> your first buck tag of the year. I think you could just like outright buy and then if you wanted an additional buck tag, um, you had to shoot a doe first or two does or something like that. And I think that's a good way to do it. I think, you know, because it would really stink and you're going to part, part of when you have those management programs is hunter buy-in. Right. And, and let's say Dan's target buck that he was just talking about walks out in front of him on like, and maybe he's not even really hunting him. Maybe he's doing like an observation sit and that target buck walks out just by some miracle and he's broadside at 15 yards for like 15 minutes and he's just got to look and stare at him and then never gets to gets a shot the rest of the season because that's how it goes. You know, it'd be great for Dan to be able to take that shot. And then still, you know, Dan's got other, you know, Dan's a, uh, one of those guys. And I have remembered this, Dan, ever since I started following you guys you just like kill a lot of deer man uh ryan too 
But Ryan's got Ryan's got the kid to look after and everything. You know how that goes. I know how that goes. But Dan, he is out there. Just what was that? That first year, I think I followed you. Didn't you shoot a drop time buck and then uh, yeah, that, another like big twelve or something like that? Uh, it was a smaller eight, but it was still a great buck. And just comparison to the drop time, that was the. Uh, the highest high i'd say yeah you were scooping up giant sheds that year is like that was dan's year but you know a guy like dan's gonna go back out there and he's gonna you know he's gonna want to get another buck if he's got season left and so he's gonna be willing to and he's gonna be happy because he was able to take his buck when he had the the opportunity so i think i agree with you that earn a buck when needed could be a really useful management tool but here in iowa we have actually go ending tomorrow um, a couple of uh, management seasons. So there's kind of three ways that Iowa does this with hunters. Um, first is uh, they've had this going for a long time in counties where there's been a, where there's been CWD uh, present in a large enough sense, they open up a uh, CWD management season that extends like basically two weeks ish maybe not quite 10 days past the end of the regular season. And, uh, it's antlerless only. And you gotta, you know, go get that tag. Another way is if there's a County where there's just like, they have a really high antlerless deer quota. Um, some of those counties can be like 2,500 antlerless tags every year. Or I think there's even some that might hit like 3,500. So just crazy thick with deer. Then, if they at the, after the last day of late muzzleloader season, which is January tenth, if there's still tags left, actually no, they set it back in December. I think it's by December eighteenth. If a certain percentage of antlerless tags are left, then they open that up after the end of muzzleloader season to buy until there's none left, and then finally you can get depredation tags, which is you know something you have to apply for and go go through with a biologist to be like yep you need this on your place so we got a couple different ways um it is interesting though to compare it to the other states out there and and even just the fact that your guys' season goes as long as it does and the first the first uh podcast we did with you we talked about how there is a thriving whitetail culture in Rhode Island. And I, you know, I just have always found that to be fascinating, but we're not going to rehash all that. We're going to just talk about what you guys have been up to and, uh, just kind of see where the conversation goes. You're just cool guys. and enjoy talking with you. Um, let's go with, uh, archery season this year. Um, how, who, who got on the board first with uh filling a tag this year? Who do you think got on the board first? <laughs> well, I was th- I was thinking it was Ryan, but <laughs> no, it was Dan. It was yeah. Dan. Uh, Let's hear about it, it Dan. It was actually kind of funny how it happened. So, I mean, I could say this all day long. I, re- I really didn't hunt that much this year as sure. normal as I used to because of, of the baby and stuff. But um, you know, we did. I did put a solid effort into bow season and everything. But you know, hunted all through October and. Right at the first weekend in November, that's when our muzzleloader kicks off. Um, and we both just can't say no to a muzzleloader. That's um, right. <laughs> so it was a... It's like a rifle season. <laughs> yep. It, muzzleloader opened on Saturday, November 4th. 
And uh, on November 3rd, it was a Friday night, I had gotten out of work and I said, Dan, I'm, I'm going to uh, sight in my muzzleloader after work. You know, he just got a new muzzleloader, so he can talk about that. But mm-hmm. if you haven't shot it yet, why don't you come down and, and we'll shoot our guns and get them sighted in and stuff. So we had met maybe 3.30 or 4 o'clock in the afternoon, um, both shot our guns and got it all sighted in an hour. And at that time, not even yet, 45 minutes but um dan the way just couldn't stay out of the woods the rest of the night so i'll let him take it away from here but we were at four o'clock in the afternoon november 3rd mm-hmm. and my night was i went to dinner but dan ended up and after he left <laughs> an hour away, dan can take the story yeah, yeah there was probably after 15 hour and a half left of sunlight and i started heading home and the place I'm hunting is probably eight minutes from my house. So I went back to my house and to my girlfriend and I said, I'm thinking we might hunt tonight. She's like, it's going to be dark soon. Why don't you go see? I said, say no more. I'll see you. Ran out the door, got to the spot and I just started sneaking in. I mean, it's middle, I'd call it just about middle of our rut. Or at least a solid beginning to it. And I started grunting, hit some ground scrapes, scraping a tree with a branch. And it was almost dark. I probably had a few minutes left. I was standing up to walk away. And I look over my shoulder. One of the two deer I was after the season was just walking right towards me. And the rest just. You'll have to watch the video. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I'm glad you mentioned that. Uh, Do tune in to uh, the Rhode Island Whitetails YouTube channel. Great videos. Very well done ever since the beginning, really, with with the editing and stuff. But, but yeah, it'd be fun to, to to see that action unfold. So Dan draws first blood, gets his, uh, gets his tag filled, um, you know, how is, so like, what, what was your girlfriend's response after you, she let you. She let you go hunt, and uh, <laughs> and uh, you you went in there and took care of business right away. Was she uh, pretty excited for you? Yeah, she was like, she knows how hard we work for this stuff. It's uh, That's you don't good. just go out in the woods and it's awesome. You take a big buck most days. But yep. he had called me. I actually had a missed call from him. It was probably like maybe six o'clock at this point. I'm looking at my phone. I'm like, oh, Dan called me. Call him back and like, dude, I just shot a really big buck. <laughs> What do you mean, dude? Like I just saw you an hour ago. Like, <laughs> where? <laughs> you know? It's like stuck in like the last half hour, and it just happened. I'm like, dude, that's crazy. Like I, I'm, I'm sorry, I can't help you because I'm with him every single recovery. It was like kind of sad that I couldn't go and recover with him, but uh, I was just happy. I just couldn't believe it. Yeah, I was just, I just saw you. <laughs> that's awesome. So, so it happened right away. And then Ryan, were you like, I mean, we're always happy for our buddies. Right. But let's be honest. We got that little bit of competition there. You know, that's, I think that's part of the reason, uh, some, you know, some people really get into hunting and, and some people are just kind of like, yeah, it's, you know, it's a good time to hang out with friends and stuff like that. There's nothing wrong with that. But, but the three of us, like, like we're here to fill tags, you know, we're, I think part of that is there's a competitiveness, to 
you know, our nature. And I don't know if you guys played sports growing up and stuff like that and participated, you know, competed in other things. Uh, I definitely did. And I, I feel like that set me up to be really interested in hunting because it, hunting allows you to compete with yourself mostly, right? Kind of put yourself to the test a little bit. But also, I mean, we're competing with our, our hunting buddies. Now, you don't want it to get to a state of like jealousy or covetousness or something like that. You know, you want it you want it to be a uh, true, like honest competition thing. But did you start feeling like a little, all right, I got to get in there and get something, make something happen here. Did you start feeling that a little bit, Ryan? A little bit. I mean, he's been just killing really big deer year after year. Yeah. Like, will understand i mean he he puts boots to the ground he does his his scouting and stuff so he definitely earns it but it's just like oh my god another one dan like (laughs) (laughs) you realize this is a small state dan it might be good if you let somebody else have a chance (laughs) but i ended up getting mine the very next day so it was just kind of funny how it worked out but uh yeah so he got him he got his with his bow on friday and i ended up getting mine with my gun on on the opening day of muzzleloader so that's awesome it's kind of this back to back and it kind of made it cool for our channel and stuff yeah definitely you know that that's something i've been considering this year and in my most recent pick and bones episode which comes out on tuesdays um i talked about how i just did a, a reflection on 2023 and by some measure this should 2023 probably should have should be considered my best hunting season yet you know i i uh for for different reasons right i'm still hitting some of these these milestones that guys like you that have been hunting for a long time have hit years ago but i'm still hitting them now you know like i got my first bow kill this year um i i uh, had my first year with multiple deer tagged in one season i killed my first turkey in the spring and like like those those milestones are really important, but it kind of bugged me that I never got a buck. Um, I had a couple of opportunities, but really just buck buck activity was way down for me this year. And uh, um, I didn't hunt my favorite season, which is early muzzleloader. Um, uh, I just my uh, I, my coworker was gone on vacation that week, and I just felt like I would have more time to hunt during the late muzzleloader season because of that. And then, and I was wrong because I ended up like getting out in the evenings every night after work with my bow, uh, during early muzzleloader season. And I was like, man, I should just be out here with my muzzleloader. But, um, so lesson learned for next year. But, uh, like I felt that, I felt that pressure, um, you know, and then I started thinking about, it's like, man, if you kill a buck, or even multiple bucks every single season for the rest of your life. What are you going to do with all those mounts and all those, you know what I mean? Like, like, and so the, the point of that isn't that, okay, yeah, I need to stop hunting so much. You know, I, I would <laughs> gladly have to solve that problem of where do I put all these mounts? That That is a problem I want to have. Um, but like, it also shows you, you know, shows me anyways, like, Hey, um, be content with the, the stuff that you, the success that you have. And when you start to feel that pressure, um, let it go because there's no need to feel that pressure, you know? And, uh, so I think that that, 
that helps when I encounter that pressure now. And I really haven't felt that since probably 2020. 2020, I put a lot of pressure on myself to uh, get a buck. And it's because of the first year of doing the podcast. And it's easy to kind of be doing things for probably not the best reasons when when you're first getting into something like that. And um, But since that year, it's it's just been a lot more chill and I've just enjoyed the process a lot more, but, uh, you know, that pressure does still exist a little bit though. That's for sure. So, uh, you got, you got into muzzleloader season and Dan, did you, uh, fill a muzzleloader tag too? I did not know. Hey, um, uh, I pretty much stuck with the bow. We had one preserve, we'll call it. That was open to bow only <laughs> that isn't always open every year. So mm-hmm. it was kind of cool to be able to be in there and, you never know if it's going to be open next year. So sure. I took my opportunity in there and enjoyed it. Did you, did you tag a deer in there or? That's where the first one came from. Oh, okay. Okay. Yep. There is so much wildlife in there though, as far as bobcats, you know, all sorts of migrating birds and stuff. Sure. It's, it's so cool just to sit a stand in this place. So we've probably talked about this the first time we interviewed. You can get two buck tags though, right? Per yep. season in Rhode Island. What is it like? Two anyway, or anyway, yeah. yes. Okay, you so you could two, two with the bow, two with the muzzleloader, two really? shot. Matter, yeah. As long as you know, as they're in, you're in season for each weapon, obviously. But, sure. So did you um, head right back out there, Ryan, with your muzzleloader after tagging that first one? Were you like, nope, next one's got to be with the bow? Yeah, I was kind of like, next one has to be with the bow, just because. Uh, sure. That's, that's what I wanted to do. Um, right. But just a one buck season for us this year, both of us. But yeah. Uh, yeah, this is uh, actually it's been two years now since I've shot one with a bow, so I just wanted to get one with my bow. Just like you were saying, it's kind of putting pressure on myself. Yeah, yeah. Done with a bow, so it um, didn't happen. Yeah, and you know what? I think that that kind of pressure though is is like, I think that's a little bit different than just being like, oh, I gotta get something, you know, like like wanting to do it a certain way. You know, I think that that's how we grow too. You know, like that's part of that healthy side of the competition, I think. So no, I totally I totally get where you're coming from with that. That's that's a that's a new although I will say this. Uh I think a lot of people and I've said this a lot of times now on the podcast, so I've made my myself clear here. But I think a lot of people think that uh muzzle loaders are just like hunting with a thirty out six or something. Uh, it is not, there are a lot of problems that can come up when you're uh muzzle loader hunting. And one of those is if your first shot doesn't work out great, it's going to be a while before you, uh, before you get another one to follow up with. So Man, you, know what? Well, you better stay tuned to the next video on my buck this year, because it took three caps for my gun to go off. <laughs> it was a nightmare. And I don't know how that deer stuck around, but what a rodeo let me tell you you know what i think i remember messaging with you about that when that happened yeah no yeah you told me to something about my um my reach point right well yeah so the so were you using loose powder or okay good yep oh that's number one you know a lot of people like using those those uh pellets Pellets. Mm -hmm. and i think when they're brand new they work great but if you like who's going to go they put like 30 some of them or 60 some whatever it is in a box who's going to shoot their muzzle over that many times in a year you know what i mean like like those pellets boxes are going to outlast the life of that barrel you know the, they right. there's just like way too many in there and so after like one or uh you know maybe two seasons 
I just really think those pellets start to gather a lot of moisture out of the environment around them. And they're just like little sponges, you know, and that, that little bit of moisture that absorbs in there just makes them burn unevenly. And plus they're packed together. And so, uh, uh, anything that's packed takes longer for it to burn than something that's, you know, like loose and has more surface area available for the flammable material being the gunpowder. So loose powder, everyone you're listening into this, knock it off with those pellets, get yourself some, some, uh, black horn or I, some people criticize it, but I've had good luck with the loose triple seven powder too. But um, get yourself some good powder. And then the other thing, I think this is, I remember this now. It was the breech plug. The flash hole was all probably gummed up from years of use. And that's just going to happen. In fact, I have my old one right here. Just because this heavy hunk of metal just feels like it shouldn't be thrown away. I don't know why I still have it. But here's my my old breech plug right here on my desk. And... Uh, yeah, the flash hole inside there, you should be able to at all times see light through there. And, uh, if you can't, that means, um, it's no good. And either if, if it means it's no good, then you can try and clean it out. They make a little tool that's got like a drill or like you can get like a little drill bit that's got a little handle on it and kind of go in there and ream around in there and kind of bust up the, like the plaque basically from all the corrosion and fouling and uh then there's also they make like this little like guitar string uh uh like a needle right like a needle that you can slide in there and and i tried that on mine and it's still like like the metal just changed inside there you know like it's it's like almost like rust on a car i think where yeah there ain't no going back. <laughs> and so I had to get a new one. That probably, I'm guessing that's what happened to yours. Is... Probably not only that, I'm shooting a pretty old gun. I'm shooting like a 1997, I think it is Thompson center Thunderhawk. And okay. I didn't, didn't convert my primer. So I'm not shooting a 209 primer. I'm shooting mm. the old primer, the 777 primers, like the tiny, tiny ones. Sure. So just Are those the, the ones that go in like the little plastic thing or something like that. They're just a little like a microscopic copper little cap that you can't even hold in your hands while you're trying while you're shaking while the bucks. Man, yeah, that's interesting. Well, hopefully, did you get it all ironed out? Um, I just kind of cleaned it and put it away for now and took the bow out the rest of the year, but I'll, I'll, I'll get an iron out. I actually have two breech plugs, so I'll just look at both of them and try and clean them. Oh, there you go. Yeah. I'll yeah. mess with it over the summer or something, but. Yeah, good deal. Well, and it, it, right there is the evidence of the story. Like, if that was a let's let's go back to the example of like a bolt action thirty out six, you would have just racked another round, and exactly. you know that's it. So, of course, the worst thing to happen is a hang fire. Thankfully, that didn't happen to you, which definitely could have happened. You know, with with like that half that half firing or you know when the, the gun the, finally when the gun did finally go off, I don't think it, it didn't hang fire, but mentally it hung it hang fire like in my mind like yeah when i figure i didn't think it, the gun was gonna go off but it did so i flinched oh. and that's <laughs> so yeah <laughs> tune into the episode it was a road <laughs> well i'm glad i'm glad it all still worked out for you sometimes we just you know we get lucky i guess and the cookie crumbles our way yes 
bad stuff happens and mm-hmm. you know maybe, yep. maybe this is the last thing that will happen <laughs> yep, yep. well i so i had kind of the opposite thing happen to me i was uh wa- so i just did some still hunting on some public land um for the last my last time uh deer hunting this season during the late muzzleloader which I love doing that. I don't know if you guys do much of that. I think you guys hunt pretty similar to how I do with tree stands and, you know, you're scouting out where you're at, cutting lanes and stuff like that. But um, I would encourage you guys to do some still hunting, even though, like, it doesn't, it might seem like it doesn't make much sense based on your habitat. It's like, it's just good to stretch yourself a little bit in, in trying something a little bit different. And I almost got a buck on my last but it was the opposite. We saw each other at the exact same moment and because he was so, you know, stroked out from surviving an entire season on public land. Um, he like the second he saw me, he's just like, Nope. You know, <laughs> he didn't like do the little stand like like what are you? You know? Yeah, he's yeah, just, no, just out of there. I didn't I didn't get any chance. But but no, I'm glad it all worked out for you, buddy, and and uh, you know, another great story to come out of it, one that uh, will be awesome to see on on YouTube. So, well then, uh, turkeys. You guys, uh, you guys do quite a bit of turkey hunting, don't you? In the spring. Yeah. How, when you was, when you mentioned when you mentioned that you just shot your first turkey, I was just about to ask you like, how addicted are you now that oh, you got your first turkey? Well, this is how addicted. Um, what was I doing? I think I was. Uh, well, pretty much all that I've been doing lately is plowing and shoveling snow. So I think I was doing one of those things yesterday. And as I'm working along, I'm like, man, I'm so excited for turkey season. You know what? I bet I could get just like a, I could get, you can get two tags in Iowa if you get a bow tag and then a gun tag. And I'm, I might try and get the bow tag this year and get one with my bow. And then I'm going to, you know, it's like I've already started down that, that, uh, black hole sorry to my wife caitlin that now i'm getting addicted to another form of hunting but um yeah that was i i finally got it this last year like what like all the other years that i've turkey hunted before the 2023 season it was kind of like uh i should do this because everyone else says it's really fun and they seem to enjoy it but after i called in my first bird and and uh you know finally then the week later finally called one in and shot one. Um, it's like, I understand why this is so fun. So fun. So fun. I, I always say it to myself, like, I don't know what I love more turkey mm. hunting, hunting. It's like, it's so 50, 50 for me. Yeah. But. Yep. No, I, I can, I can see that for sure. Okay. Now let me ask you this rank. You got a gun to your head. You got to do it. Rank bow hunting, turkey hunting, and shed hunting dan you got to go first <laughs> probably bow hunting shed hunting then turkey hunting That's, I, I haven't gotten bit as uh badly by the uh, turkey bug yeah really I do, okay do love it and it is a great time but something about deer bow hunting for deer it's uh, yeah. obsessed for sure what do you think ryan uh i would have to go Bow hunting, turkey hunting, shed hunting. Okay, yeah. Very good. I think I'm with Dan. I love turkey hunting. I'm really addicted to it now, but there's just something about sheds. And I might even be able to switch up my one and two there. I might even say sheds over bow oh, hunting. Oh, there's some days we walk around that we're like, man, 
I just enjoy shed hunting more than hunting. <laughs> yeah, I know it. And, and I think it's because you get to interact with so many bucks, you know? Yeah. It's scouting. It's, you know, being out there in the woods. It's, mm-hmm. Yeah, not being all uh, stroked out about scent control and, and mm. you know, staying out of the core areas and, you know, all yeah, that it's stuff. it's stressful on things some days. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But it's also what makes it fun, too, you know. Again, going back to that yep. competitive edge side, you're just like, man, how can I do this better than last time? But, okay, so so uh, great turkey seasons, great uh, archery seasons. Now, um, I want to know how was – so before we did the call, Ryan talked about a shed season a little bit in 20. Uh, yeah, so we got to go back to last year because we're just getting into the 2024 shed season now. Um, but 2023, uh, on a scale of five being like this was a five-star season, excellent, couldn't ask for better, one star being like, man – I tried to go and I tore my Achilles getting out of my truck and I never got to look for another antler the rest of the season. Uh, where, where, uh, did your 2023 shed seasons rank? We'll let Ryan go first this time. Uh, compared to past years, last year was probably my worst year. Uh, got out less, um, found way less than I usually do, but obviously for a great reason. Um, right. Yep. Yeah. It was, it was, Probably a three out of ten for me. Three out of three out of ten. So we'll we'll uh, since we did the five star method, we'll divide it with two point five stars. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, I'm going out of the ten. I, I forgot you said or one point five. One point five. That's 1. right. 5. My math is off. <laughs> yeah. So one point five. Man, slightly better than a torn Achilles. Wow. No, <laughs> I think you still did pretty good, man. You found three sheds. Um, yeah. When my when my first daughter was born, the only shed I found that that year granted it was like only my third year of shed hunting but uh i the only shed i found was this really nice one had a double brow tine um but it was while i was driving down the road and it was in some absentee landowner's field and i sent him a message on facebook and never heard back and uh somebody else snagged it and Mm -hmm. uh it like it it killed me to leave that thing there i i took a picture of it I'll have to send you guys a picture after we're done with this call, but it, oh, it killed me to leave that thing behind. That was, so I get it, man. There, she was born on February one, which is like the heart of shed season. And yep. there were there wasn't no shed hunting for uh old Kent that year. That's for sure. So <laughs> I, I'm right there with you, buddy. Three sheds. That's a pretty good year. Dan, what'd you think? Those, oh, go ahead. I got one of those packs with that. She can sit in the back. Yes. So I'm really excited to use that this year, and she loves being in there. So I'm like, that too this year. Come on, let's get in the backpack. Oh man, those you those backpacks, those? like the, whoever invented those, needs a Nobel Prize. I mean, right. if if it wasn't for those backpacks, my shed count would be half of what it is because yep. that is that is. <laughs> You know, as soon as my older kids are like able to walk, it's like, all right, time to go shut out and get your, put your sister in the backpack, you know, <laughs> or get to go out, <laughs> you know, so, which I'm excited for, about that for this year. My, my two oldest, they're getting pretty big and, you know, my oldest is six and my, my uh, middle child, she'll be uh, five in like two weeks. And so, you know, that's pretty that, that's getting to be pretty capable, you know, like not getting stuck in the mud and I'm tired, right. you know, that kind of thing. Own, yeah. Right. So, all right, Dan, 
five stars. Where do you give it? Um, I'd probably give it like a three, maybe two and a half. We'll say didn't really get in the woods. You, you're never in those woods as much as you'd like to be. Right. <laughs> um, the only good thing that really came from it is one of the deer that I'm after this season. I did pick up his shed last year and that kind of spiraled into this mm. whole thing this season. So it, it definitely helps to be out there. Yeah, no doubt about it. Well, that's cool, though, that you found, like, a really nice shed. I think that can make up for, like, one one trophy shed to me is worth, like, I don't know, 10, like, uh, dinks. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. Okay. Mm. I yeah. actually like finding – I don't like finding dinks. Well, I do. Any antler is awesome. Right, but no time left behind. There, there's a small difference between finding, like, a trophy shed and, like, a spike horn. Because yeah. how often are you going to find a spike worm? That's true. That's very true. They're yeah. hard to find and they're just hard to come by. So a spike horn and like a big four point sign like go hand in hand for me. That's right. You, you know, I never found a spike. <laughs> really? You never found a spike? That's that's Ryan's a master. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, you know, I always like when I think about stuff like that. I wonder if I could just know the data on it. You know, and one of those things would be how many, first of all, how many sheds get left behind, you know, like don't get found every season on average. It, I I wonder if it would be more than we think or if it would be far less than we think. And I kind of, I used to think it's way more than what we think. But I'm kind of starting to lean towards, mm, I bet there's a lot. Or I bet we find most of them. Like there's enough shed hunting that goes on now um, that, sure, there's going to be properties out there that no one's allowed to go on and they just have like the exactly what a deer wants in the in the late season. Um, and, and, yeah, they're, you know, like if we could only gain access, it would be like a treasure trove of, of like years worth of sheds. Like I think that exists but mm-hmm. not as often as we think because at least around here, and I imagine it's probably fairly similar there, the places where deer go um, during the winter are like, you know, it's like f- 5% of the ground, you know. They they like really huddle up into these into these areas and when and, – and people know where those are from years of shed hunting, you know, and, you know – I would say most serious shed hunters have probably, you know, maybe two, but probably more like one to two honey holes like that where they can go in there and they can pretty much count on finding, you know, a good percentage of their antlers for the year. And I just think most of those places get figured out, you know, and and the people that have access to them return to them. And, yep. and so – I don't think many get left behind, but it would be an interesting stat. And an even more interesting stat would be how many spikes get left behind. I bet that is a high number. That's probably a high number, yeah. I just – I love watching the shed rally videos, like, come March and April where the guys, you know, your part of the country just pick up, like, 40 in a day. Oh, I know it, man. I just think that's so mesmerizing. Like, you just watch them. They just come each clip. Like, oh, here's another one, another one, another one. Like, yep. Crazy. Yep. Well, you guys need to make a trip out here sometime, and we'll do uh, we'll do some serious shed hunting some sometime. Um, there's a part of the state that we can talk about after the call 
that I really have been wanting to just go down there and sure, maybe knock on some doors, but, but even just hit the public land because, um, if we could, if we could make that happen, I think we could find, find, uh, a lot of antlers, but we can talk more about that after, after the show. We don't want to give up all of our secrets here, but no, I but, think uh, you'll, you'll be happy to know, Ken, that this year was our first year. We both uh, put in for our bonus point in uh, Iowa. So Atta boy, good well, job. Yeah. We'll be older and wiser. And, <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's right. Well, you know, something that I think a lot of people don't take advantage of. And part of it is like when we were talking earlier, just the challenge of doing it with a bow. If like, if somebody really wants access to Iowa bucks, you know, and they don't want to wait, you know, point creep has gone up to where, you know, the best units you're talking a seven year wait. Um, and, uh, if you hunted late muzz though, as a non-resident, I think in most places you can draw, you know, every other year a tag in Iowa for a late muzzleloader hunt. And, you know, it'd be a lot of, that'd be a lot of fun for people too. But yeah, there's just something about archery. And, and of course, you know, all the big bugs, bucks haven't been killed yet at that point in the season either. You know, it's, it's right. during the rut, you get out there and it'd be a good time for sure. But, but yeah, we need to, we need to line something up together sometime. So, <laughs> Yeah, man. Where's so, the closest airport that I need to fly into? Uh, you, you just uh, we'll we'll talk about that. I think most people have figured out where I live by this point, but yeah. but uh, just in case they haven't, we'll, we'll we can talk about all those details after after the show. I live in Iowa, people. That's where I live. Iowa. <laughs> I live in Iowa, America. That's where I live. So uh, no, let let's. Uh, Let's keep talking about sheds a little bit here just because I am getting so excited as we're having this conversation. Um, recently, I was on a podcast, uh, Brownfield Ag News Outdoor Adventures podcast, and, and uh, I was interviewed about shed hunting and asked to give like some shed hunting tips. For somebody who's shed hunting, just you know, going hand-in-hand hand with the, the comp level of competition, how people view um, giving people permission to, you know, like access their private property. Like if someone were to go to Rhode Island um, to shed hunt, what's like the, is, is the best place to start just with public land access? Or do you guys find that now nah, you go to public land, it's going to be so picked. You need to get on some, some private access i'd say both but i'd probably speak for both of us and mo the majority of our sheds come off of public land so mm. we are public's the go-to um you can definitely have your success on on private as well but I, we found we, we have more success on, on public i think sure mm -hmm. so so if people do go around and knock on doors do they usually get a yes, that's fine, or is it like, no, what are you asking me this for? Get out of here. That's weird. Yeah, I think, uh, I think a lot of places are already spoken for as far as people hunting them and shed hunting them. Mm. I don't I don't have any private land spots that I hunt or anything or shed hunt, and it's uh, it hasn't really seemed to be too much of an issue. We have so much um, public land and just like, you know, special preserves. That's that interesting. It's 
Yeah, I mean, I don't think it helps you that much more by being on private. But I will say, you will put in a good 10 miles at least before you find one, I'd say, unless you're lucky. Yeah, that's yeah, that's interesting because that's right around – that's so that that's probably because I would say you guys are are you know skilled shed hunters. You guys know what you're doing. Um, and if the average is still ten, that shows how much more challenging it is where you guys are at. Because I would say the average guy who's like maybe he's like a decent deer hunter, but he doesn't really like shed hunt all that much. I would say that guy in Iowa is going to find a shed every 10 miles. But if I took you guys and put you in Iowa, you would probably find a shed every five miles or maybe every, you know, maybe even depending on like if a real good piece of private land, you might find a shed every two and a half miles, you know? And, And so that kind of shows you the difference in, in number of deer and, but also shows you the difference in like how much, well, maybe, I don't know how much they congregate. Um, does that happen a lot in Rhode Island or deer pretty well spread out just like they are in October? They don't, they definitely don't um, yard up like in some other places mm-hmm. in Maine and New Hampshire specifically, because they get way more snow than we do. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think they yard up. I, I think they're pretty spread out like they're normal. They are. Sure. Um, Especially in the last couple of years, we've, we've barely gotten any snow down here in the last couple of years. Um, I'd say they're pretty spring normal. Yeah. So that, that then also factors into that 10 miles as well with mm-hmm. them being, with them being, you know, so, so dispersed on the landscape. Yeah. That's interesting. Well, now, too, the, uh, as far as how you're going about shed hunting too, like, I like to cover a ton of ground and, you know, I look pretty well, but I noticed Ryan will cover half the ground in the time I've covered that amount of space and he's very methodical. That's mm-hmm. why you have all these spike horns, you know? <laughs> yeah. So there is different styles here. You got to keep in mind. Yeah, that's a good point. So let's, yeah, let's hear about that. Your, your strategy a little bit here, Ryan, let's say uh, it's oh, yeah. um, Friday night. You would, you and Dan are like, Hey, we're going to go shed hunting tomorrow. Why don't you take us from the top? Okay. Where are we going? So give us an idea how you're going to be looking at your e-scouting and, and finding a spot and, and, uh, choosing to go after it. Actually, we usually like to talk beforehand and pick a spot like we've never been to before. Mm. Uh, like just new ground and just like kind of Perfect. Makes, it, makes it more exciting rather than going yeah. to the you've been to all year while you're hunting anyway i mean you know the ground better but i like going into brand new places just because i have no idea what's there and um dan will go and i'll usually i usually grid circle so i'll go up maybe 50 yards and circle back 50 yards and like kind of do more grid search look while dan's kind of just walking around the border of the property or whatever you know if i don't half an hour call him and say, you know where are you dude we'll meet back up first again and all that sort of stuff yeah yeah so so when you're looking at a new piece of property you know here in iowa you're going to key in like first and foremost where's the you know what place has southern exposure you know especially in yeah. a winter like it is right now you know where where are they going to be getting that those warm 
rays of sunlight for as much of the day as possible to help them stay warm. And then you're going to be looking at, okay, that needs to be on like a hillside. And then even better yet, it's got like timber around it. Even better yet, it's far away from humans. Even better yet, it's got a, what was a cornfield last year, this last, this last uh, growing season. What are you, you know, and then that's the spot you're going to, you're going to, you know, pounce on. In Rhode Island though, with the deer being so spread out, are you like keen on any topography or any, any uh, vegetation or anything like that just to get started? We definitely key in on south facing, you know, ridges and hillsides Mm. and stuff. That's definitely a factor that we key on. Um, But a lot of times it's just going into some, some thick cover, like a cedar patch or, you know, some thick spruces or something where, you know, they might bed down and, and stuff like that. But for the most part, it's, I'd say it's just south facing sunlight ridges and stuff, but we just like to walk. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I get it. Oh man, that's like kind of like our that's what we do. <laughs> yep, yep. No, I get you there, man. That that's the big biggest part of it is just getting out there and you know, stretching the legs and, and moving. I feel like they are so spread out too that you you really gotta cover a ton of ground. Mm. Thinking back on it, I think three out of you know five of my biggest antlers all were found within 20 to 30 yards of a main walking trail oh really that's interesting yeah it's it's so tough you never know the next walker could have picked up his other side yeah right yeah that's true that's a that's a very good point yeah so that that is definitely a difference um you know when you said the spruce thing it made me think what is what is the shed hunting tip that you hear about all the time or maybe tips that like almost never comes true in, in like in practicality when you're out shed hunting? First thing that comes to mind is like you should train your eyes to look for a smaller shed and not train your eyes to be looking for like a big four point side, like something right behind mm. me walking i'm not looking for that i'm looking for like a full corn or maybe just a small four points in that or something i'm you gotta train your own for something smaller so that way you don't miss over sure you know are there any uh, tips though that like you hear like you see in articles or something that you're like man that's just not true like like um, uh i've heard a, a lot of people say and i've you know i've never just seen it happen that's the mm-hmm. thing is when deer cross stone walls or fences. Yes. Thank just, you. I've just never had that come to fruition. It just, I don't know. I search along them every time just because I've heard it a hundred. <laughs> that is so true. Um, so I have observed it. I have observed a fence crossing shed, I believe. I think I found one once, but, but, uh, I have a friend who I'd really, if we, if you guys come for shed hunting, um, I will definitely introduce you to, and we'll try and go with. Um, he found a uh, ninety-inch shed, ninety-one-inch shed, on buried in the grass, like it was a couple years old, buried in the grass in a fence row. So, like that was one. But to your point, Dan, I have searched every fence row that I've walked past, and I've maybe found one or two sheds in a fence row for mm. the hundreds 
of miles of fence fences that I have searched through the years. You know what I mean? That is a good one. And the same goes for like Creek crossings. Oh, you just got to check the Creek crossings. Yeah. yeah. I, I think, I think last year my friend Caleb found one where you could clearly tell like a deer, like it hopped, you know, like it was like a muddy bank right there. And we mm-hmm. found one there. And, uh, you know, of course, this one this year, but that was more like he was out in the middle, like he was just waiting and walking, like he was walking down a deer trail. It had nothing to do with him jumping, you know. Uh, the That's the only time I've ever seen a creek, like a true, like hopped over the creek, impact on the ground, jarred a shed loose. That's a great point. Any others, Ryan, that you can think of where people are always like, oh, this is how you find a shed. It's just you know, you never find him like that. Mm, I mean – acorn like pretty much the acorns already gone so yeah yeah under eight you know under oak trees for sheds like it's more so other browse and food sources but sure I don't know. yeah that's a good one and your food sources are so different up there in most yeah. cases than what they are here the one the other one that i think of and i think this is more true like in an area like your guys where your habitat is going to be like all forested and 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 not so much like ag field based. Um, but around here, whenever I see like a thick grove of cedar trees, I'm always like, man, I got to get in there into that thermal cover and I am just going to be tripping over the sheds. And I have searched at least two of the thickest groves of, no, three of the thickest groves of cedars like I think Iowa has seen in the last hundred years, and I have come up with one spike antler. Um, actually, I think I got it right here in this uh, jar of, of antlers. Let me see. Uh, maybe not. Maybe it's in my uh, daughter's room. Oh, no, here it is. Here's the uh, here's the cedar spike. Oh, look yeah. This little, uh, look at that thing. <laughs> That's awesome. That's like a that's like a nine inch shed right there, man. That's <laughs> that's that's I think that's the only cedar like true cedar shed. I, or no, I found one other real crusty one a couple years ago, just plain as day under a cedar tree. But I mean, I I'm still gonna do it just because you hear it said so much, kind of like the fence row thing and the creek crossing thing. Like I'm still gonna look, but it just uh, it doesn't pan out. Where do you guys usually find sheds? Um, I was just going to say, you, you said cedars, and I was thinking evergreens, but pretty much most of pine forests. I mean, we've got some heavily uh, tree-filled areas. And mm. there, uh, I found quite a few under pines and just, you know, evergreens wherever the snow can't penetrate through and they have some soft bedding. Sure. So it must be, I kind of wonder if, like, if you're in a more timbered habitat area, like that is the feature that really stands out from the rest of the, you know, that's where you separate, I guess, instead of the phrase being the forest from the trees, the trees from the forest, um, you know, like, like that's a good way to break down a pretty uniform setting, like a, like a forest. Mm -hmm. But um, here in Iowa, I think the reason I don't find as many in under cedars is because I think people really like using uh, our people. I just saw two people ride by on a four wheeler. That's why I said people, uh, uh, deer really like using, um, uh, prairie grass 
for the their thermal cover. Like they like to bed and switch grass on the edge of a edge of a cornfield or something like that. And the, not that they won't use the cedars, but and I also think that bucks just don't like hanging around does outside of the rut. You know, and those doe family groups, they just load up into those cedar thickets and the bucks are like somewhere, which that might be like a good tip there too. You know, like if you can find a, a spot, like say you got that Southern exposure and you have the cedars, well, you know, like in the thickest part of that, it's probably going to be a doe family group, but like kind of off in a satellite sort of way, maybe Mm -hmm. you could, you know, you could find where that buck would be bedded, but okay. Well, let's, uh. That's probably enough for sheds for now. Um, it's getting me too excited, and there's nothing I can do about it right now. There's just too much snow, and and uh, you know what? I'm in charge of the kids today anyway, so I can't go out and look yet. It's too cold for the baby backpack even. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> but um, I just wanted to get kind of an update. I had that on my list here on um, what's going on with the, the YouTube channel. And then uh, before we end, I want to hear Ryan's side – I mean, we don't need to tell the whole thing, but I want to hear Ryan's side of the story with his uh, um, Columbus Day adventure. Uh, <laughs> I heard that on the Hunt Suburbia podcast, yeah. and I and I had Patrick on the podcast to kind of talk about it a little bit. Yeah, um, and that is a wild, wild story. So we'll we'll end on that note. If you guys like hearing uh, creepy stories. Um, we'll just kind of get an update from Ryan on <laughs> on what's going on there. And, uh, but, but before that, what, what, uh, what's been going on? You guys have picked up a huge sponsor, uh, in bear archery, right. And, and, um, you've been growing in other ways. You've been at hunt stock fest. You've been, um, I think you, I think you guys maybe did another show that I saw or something like that, but, um, what's going on with the channel these days? Yeah. Um, I mean, channel, Channel's been a little bit slow this year, and uh, I apologize on who's bugging me about videos just because um, I'm just I couldn't find the time to edit yet. But I am actually working on the videos this weekend, so there will be a video out soon. Nice, um, it's, it's, you know, we have had a pretty steady level of content the last couple of years, you know, ever since we went on the podcast with you. 2020 was a shit year, mm-hmm. that was when our channel picked off with four really good videos. And since that point, we've had, you know, one or two good ones every year. And we both kind of talk. We're not, we're not the type of channel that's just going to put more content just to right. keep views up. Like, if we get a good subject or if we kill a deer or something, that's when we're going to make a video. We're not going to be making videos useless information about what, what I right. hear and, like, update and views and, like, that type of channel. We're going to put out content that we feel, you know, yep. good job doing it and stuff that so yeah yeah almost like a difference between like truly being a youtuber and producing high quality videos for youtube you know it's like and not that there's anything wrong with the you know the youtuber guys that that are documenting everything but yeah you know i think it's cool that you know you know you recognize what you're capable of doing and what you want to do which is the biggest thing and uh, you just kind of stick with it that's good So yeah, uh, people should subscribe though, right? Um, and it's just yeah. as simple as looking up uh, Rhode Island Whitetails on YouTube, and then uh, follow them on Instagram. Great stuff on there. Sheds that you'll be envious of. Um, if this was a video podcast, um, 
which there again, I don't have the time to edit those. So uh, if it was a if it was a video podcast, we, you could have seen the uh, little uh, spike, little spike antler I found. We could see this giant five points, like the textbook five point shed that uh, Ryan has on his uh, bookshelf over behind him. But um, you know, go and follow uh, follow Rhode Island Whitetails on Instagram. Uh, any shirts and uh, decals and hats left for people to pick up if they're wanting? Uh, we have pretty limited supply because we kind of save that stuff for hunt stock. That's where we usually sure. uh, sell most of our, our merch and stuff. Um, you know, I will somebody a sticker if they really wanted to, but most of the people that have gotten merch from us in Rhode Island, like they've already got their <laughs> it's, it's a pretty small following um, of people who want merch. Okay? But we save that stuff for so come see us at the Hunstock Fest, and we can you know get a shirt and a hat there. But this is the new stuff here, which is kind of yeah, that looks awesome. I love the old uh, is that mossy oak or yeah, yeah mossy oak bottomland. Yep. Yeah, I love that classic. That was kind of the first camo I'd ever seen in my life. I think was that pattern. True child of the eighties, you know. I think it's um, making a comeback. I think it's getting yeah. more. it's a good camo you know it looks very realistic and Mm -hmm. it kind of brings together the two worlds of like having a breakup pattern of camo but also solids you know and i think it's uh i think it's a it's it's a classic for a reason you know Mm -hmm. but but yeah get a shirt i i am lucky enough to have one and uh, i've gotten many comments on it uh one time i was at shields which i don't know if you guys have ever been to a shields don't know if they have those on the east coast but um the guy in the checkout line saw my shirt and he's like are you from rhode island and i'm like nope got a couple buddies that are really (laughs) and i was like yep they got a youtube channel hunting whitetails out there really that's really interesting you know it's like (laughs) it's it's pretty cool but uh yeah go to hunt stock fest pick up a shirt i bet you i bet you if you twisted ryan's arm hard enough on instagram messenger or something like that he'd probably send you one if you if you paid him (laughs) so he'd let you he'd let you buy one but uh all right ryan the scary story man you don't have to tell like the whole story again because because the listeners have if if you want to know the whole story you can either tune into the episode where patrick from hunt stock fest came on and told it or you can go on to Patrick's show, Hunt Suburbia, and hear Ryan tell the story. And there's like some sound effects and stuff on there that Pat put in to, to go with it. But um, Ryan, um, let's go back I mean, to a, a rating scale here. Just so people know like how legit you were freaked. 10 is like, I am so scared that I'm losing control of my bodily functions and I'm I'm going to run around in a blind panic, screaming my head off. And one is like, whatever that annoying noise is, it needs to stop so I can go back to sleep. How, uh, how freaked were you? Um, I wouldn't, I was going to say 10, but then you just said run around in like a freak panic, like and not know what to do. Like I was not doing that, but I would really put it out with me. If we were an eight. Off. Wow. I mean, well, I, I, it was, I went as far as leaving in the middle of the night, like me and my wife both vacated the area as fast as we could at like two 30 in the morning. So man, mm-hmm. that is crazy. So, uh, just, uh, rehash some of the noises. Like what the first noise you heard, was that the walking through the water? 
Yeah, I was I was woken up in the middle of the night. It was Columbus Day weekend. It was the first frost of the year, and it was also a full moon. And there are a lot of pieces to the story that you can kind of tune in on. on I'm sure Pat told on your podcast, so the Hunts of Ruby podcast, but there are a lot of pieces to the puzzle that need that lined up. Can you hear me? Or? Yeah, you're you're cutting up there just a little bit. All right, I'm trying to get as close as I can to the camera. <laughs> there you go. Basically, I woke up in the middle of the night. It was very cold. My dog was sleeping. My wife was sleeping. And I heard this noise in the walking around the corner that absolutely terrified me. Enough this, to, is, this is ocean water too, right? Yeah, I was camping about 50 yards off of you know, a coastal, coastal Maine. Hmm. Um, I don't. I didn't. I didn't disclose the area in any of the podcasts that I've been on, but um, we'll just call it Coast. And um, the noise scared so bad. I actually, woke up my wife and you know told her to listen, and we both agreed that we should leave. So, long story, ended up leaving the night and coming back to our kitchen in the daylight just because we were both freaked out. So. Oh man. Yeah. So the, the sloshing around now, the drums that you talked about, did you guys hear those drums or was that just the landowner heard it like the year before when they, when they bought the property and the, their neighbors told them like, Hey, you know, you need to be aware of something that goes on out here at that exact time of year. And, and, uh, I did not hear the drumming. Uh, this kind of unfolded after I contacted the landowner and told her what I heard and she freaked out because she kind of knew what was going on in that woods, especially on full moon nights. Do you um, think when she, when she saw you book that, that uh, trip, she's like, Oh boy, they're in for it. <laughs> but you know what they paid? So <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Maybe, maybe she will for future um, bookings, but uh, I don't think she was really like aware that it really happened to anyone else until I brought it to her attention. But oh man, now I know Dan's been laughing the whole time while you're telling the story. I've kind of wondered if he's the if he's the uh, <laughs> the Sasquatch that was out there, but <laughs> but no, it's a it's a freaky freaky story, and um, you know we we joke, but. Uh, Ryan seems to be a pretty level-headed guy, and uh, he even has, like, if you go on the Hunt Suburbia version of the story, you you pat patched in audio um, that Ryan recorded on his uh, GoPro, right? Yep. Like where you could hear the thing, like, kind of growling or making some weird like noise, and and everyone listening in right now is like. Ryan thinks a bobcat is a banshee, you know, like he, you know, he's like, it's going to be so obvious. Uh, uh, you listen into that and it's a noise you will have never heard before unless you camped where uh, Ryan camped. Um, maybe you have, (laughs) but, uh, but, um, it is a, it is a wild, wild tale. And, um, was your wife as freaked? Like, did she hear all of it going on too? Oh, or? she was 10 out of 10 on yours. Too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, she was man. like forcing me into the car. And I'm like, I, I'm lucky I had the wits enough to be like, no, I record the noise before we leave. So I, at least people believe me, you know? And <laughs> That's right. 
Um, but yeah, just like a typical scene out of like a normal cheesy horror movie. Like you yep. wait in the car. Like I'm gonna go investigate what this noise is, and she's like, "No, don't go! I'll be right." Back, you know? <laughs> like snatch Never going. Seen, seen Ryan again, you know? <laughs> oh man, yeah. So you can't be so judgmental in all the cheesy horror films now. When the, yeah, when right. when they go down into the scary basement, but um, no, it was a it was a great story. One that uh. Um, everyone should hear and uh, weigh in on and maybe reach out to Ryan if uh, if you've uh, experienced something similar. He'd probably be interested in hearing about it. But now you're going to get all these Sasquatch uh, emails. <laughs> Sorry, Ryan. But, That's all right. But thanks so much, guys, for coming back on. After we're done with this, we need to talk a little bit about some potential plans in the future. And um, I want to thank all the listeners for tuning in. Hope this was an entertaining episode for you. Sometimes it's just nice to have like a good old school hey, what have you been up to um, type episode and talk the excitement around uh, hunting and shed hunting and being out in the woods. Um, I'm already, uh, like like I'm in that phase now, you guys can probably relate to this, where you're like in the decompressing, you know, from all the, well, I don't know, technically your season's still going on, so maybe not. But here in Iowa, season's over, and it just kind of feels good to be like, like, okay, I don't have to make sure all my base layers are freshly washed and scent-free detergent, and I have enough scent-free body wash uh, to get me through the next week of hunting. And, like, all those extra little things that you're always bugging out about during the season. Like, it feels kind of nice to, to, like, be able to relax a little bit. But at the same time, I'm already chomping at the bit for making some changes uh, for next hunting season that I think we're going to set me up well for some success. So we're always thinking about it. We're always dreaming about it. That's why we're here talking about it. But a uh, big thank you to uh, Ryan and Dan. And uh, really, I mean it, these two guys know how to get it done in the woods. Two uh, absolute, absolute cold-blooded killers in the hunting space. And um, that's why it's been so fun following you guys for, man, almost four years now. And uh Crazy. Yeah, it is that time flies, but you guys are still doing it. And anyone out there from New England, which we get a lot of New England listeners, uh, love love uh, that you guys follow along. And I think Ryan and Dan, I, I know a lot of you folks that hunt in New England, like it's just a little bit extra challenge for, uh, you know, making making a successful hunting season happen um, just with – land access at times or um shorter seasons in some cases not in rhode island but in other states um or even just even just the uh reality of not as many animals to chase um in some in some places but i think you guys can follow along with with ryan and dan and draw a lot of inspiration from what they do and and maybe even pick up a few pointers along the way that can help you find some success but Better not be uh, shed hunting any other spots though. It's it's hard yeah. to it's, it's hard to find those right. But um, uh, big big shout out to what what'd you say, Dan? I said we can't thank you enough for having us on again too. Was- oh, absolutely. You guys are welcome anytime. Anytime you want to pr- promote something or whatever, hop on the podcast. We'll be glad to do it. Maybe we can get you in on a pick and bone sometime, and we can talk about a controversial issue in the hunting space and try and weigh it out and get closer to what. It, what the right answer is but i do want to take this time to uh 
recognize the presenting sponsor, Spartan Forge. Spartan Forge is such a critical tool for all phases of deer season right now. As the regular deer season comes to an end, we are entering into shed season. And I use Spartan Forge, uh, I should probably say almost as much during shed season as I do during the regular season. And the reason I say almost as much is because I'm not using the deer behavior prediction as much during shed season, although that can be kind of helpful too. I mean, just knowing where to look. If it's been a lot of full range days, then you're probably going to find more transitional area sheds than you are core area sheds and um, that that sort of thing. But I do use the mapping a ton during shed season. You can use it too. They have a lot of very useful mapping layers that you're going to want to um, check out and uh, help you scout out the areas that you want to hit and find places to knock on doors and maybe uncover your own one or two honey holes that you can rely on each and every shed season to deliver. So Spartan Forge is a way to do that. You can find a link for that in the show notes or go to my Instagram. And I think it's the top or second from the top link in uh, my um, link tree in my bio. So you can find links to that. Get on board with Spartan Forge. You won't regret it. Alex Gruen has been working around the clock. It's uh, tag app season. Uh, now that uh, seasons have uh, closed in most states, it's time to start uh, putting in to have, uh, you know, deciding which tags you want to apply for, where you need to buy points, all the stuff that goes into having a successful off season of planning. Alex will guide you through the process. Um, he's been working with uh, someone who just uh, t- uh, checked him out after hearing about east to west on the podcast so if that's you make sure, thank you and uh thank you for supporting both of us by doing so and uh if it's not you but you're kind of like on the fence just go ahead and sign up for that free consultation you'll find out if what alex has to offer is what you need and it's literally it's a it's a free consultation and he'll point out to you if uh you know, what your dreams are for hunting other states are something that he can help you with or something that you should, uh, you know, maybe consider doing on your own. He's not going to, he's not, he's too busy to, to just try and take business that um, he doesn't think is going to help his clients. So definitely check him out. I'm 99% sure though, you are going to be like the rest of us who have found Alex to be a tremendous help. Go to eastwesthunts.com. And tell them you heard about them on this podcast. You'll save yourself 10%, which is a nice little chunk of savings there. And then finally, Old Barn Taxidermy. I cannot wait to get down there with uh, my mule deer hide to get that tanned. Um, hopefully going to be able to set up a podcast with uh, Colton and Sam while we're down there. And um, I'm going to try and take Caleb along with me and uh, just enjoy that whole process of uh, hanging out with those guys, seeing the showroom, seeing the other mounts that are done from this year up on the wall. Just an incredible experience, and you can have that experience for yourself if you go to Old Barn Taxidermy. No, you don't have to just be in Iowa. You can you can ship stuff to Old Barn. You can uh, bring it here yourself. Just make sure you follow all the state transfer laws, you know, as far as, like, having brain matter removed and stuff like that. Um, but you can get your own incredible mount uh, memorialized in a very professional manner by going to Old Barn Taxidermy. Um, There's a lot of taxidermy work out there, but there's a lot of it that's not very good. Old Barn is one of the places that does it the right way. And Sam has been doing it for over 40 years, 
thousands upon thousands of shoulder mounts have gone through Sam's shop and all sorts of other crazy mounts, full body uh, mountain lion mounts, turkey mounts, uh, um, bear rugs, you name it, Sam's tanned it and uh, and mounted it in an incredible uh, uh, incredibly tasteful way something that your family is going to like just as much as you do so go to old barn taxidermy and find a link in the show notes for them as well well thanks so much again dan and ryan until next time everyone thank you again for tuning in and take care and take someone hunting <laughs>